This is the Just a Bite podcast, giving you access to authors, influencers, and experts in the culinary field and beyond. With your host, Malika Bowling, we discuss food trends, blogging, social media, and much more. Find us at associationoffoodbloggers.org. Here's your host, Malika Bowling. Welcome to the Just a Bite podcast. Today we're going to be talking about minorities in food writing. Our guest today represents several ethnicities located in different U.S. cities. The first guest today is Caroline Cho, who in addition to being a writer, is a teacher and a recipe developer based in New York City. She's also the founder of Create and Plate, a business devoted to promoting community through arts and food education. She's been featured in Food and Wine Magazine, Food 52, Jamie Oliver's Food Revolution, Pop Sugar, and Glamour. And above all, she's a proud Korean-American daughter of immigrants. Roxana Hussein is a journalist, writer, and editor in Los Angeles. She covers lifestyle, travel, food, and culture. Her work has appeared in outlets catering to the South Asian and African-American communities. Roxana is the publisher and editor of Traveler and Tourist Digital Lifestyle Magazine. Esther Tseng is a Los Angeles-based food and drinks writer who has contributed to the LA Times, Vice, Eater, Time Out, and more. She was born in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and fell into her writing career from the blogging side. That's interesting. So did I, Esther. Oh, excellent. <laughs> Thanks, ladies, excellent. for taking the time to talk today. Yay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for being here. I know somebody missed out on a, a uh, World Cup game. <laughs> but it's, it's totally no 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 this is not missing out this is uh they went into overtime croatia and england they did yeah they did so you know they what did. it's okay it's, it's okay i caught all the good stuff and now we're gonna wait on the the results so there you go mm-hmm. much rather Very i would talk to you guys yeah talk to you guys will be will be totally fine don't worry about it <laughs> Well, great. Well, we're all, the way we are, we're connected is we are in a group of writers, the people of color writers. Mm-hmm. And mm. I, I first want to talk about why is it important that people of color need to write about food and why is it, why is it lacking? I mean, if you think about it, food is going to taste the same no matter what color you are. So can you give me your opinion on that? Um. I, if if it's okay for me to start off, um, yes, basically please. the importance of us, especially writing people of color, is that um, from my own experience, I've noticed that a lot of uh, publications like to play it safe. Uh, they have a goal of what I've been told in the past was that they have a goal at the end of the day, which is that they need people to, you know, pay attention to them, read them, basically, you know, make continue the significance of what their purpose is. Mm-hmm. Um, but this also, I think, the unspoken, uh, uncomfortable topic that people are not realizing is that, well, you're kind of writing from one perspective and one perspective only, in a, you know, and it's a very more than not a westernized kind of view of what uh, certain topics touch. And so for people of color to continue to write, it offers a different voice, a voice that frankly is needing more volume, I think, uh, for all of us. And really just because it's not just one way or another anymore, that one opinion just doesn't count anymore. And 
I think in terms of content and substance and how it's even meaningful uh, is going to involve more people and more voices and definitely more, uh, I hate to say it, but more oppositional view sometimes also. So. Okay. And, and that's Caroline, right? Yes, that's me. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay. Yes. That's okay. It's yeah. okay. I yeah. want to make sure I keep everybody straight. Yeah. Esther, Roxana, do you have anything to add? Yeah. Um, I, in my past experience, I've just, I'm, I'm probably going to go out on a limb and, and say that we probably have all experienced this where we've just seen a lot of like tone deafness out there. Um, (laughs) To say the least. (laughs) Yes, a lot of tone deafness, um, just a lot of problematic, you know, I mean, I can come up with all the hashtags now, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, just a lot, kind of like if if I say, for instance, I'm Taiwanese American, by the way, and um, like, for instance, if say if I were like a Vietnamese American um, watching that FA video on oh <laughs> this place in Philadelphia. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like about like what to do with your FA or what not to. And, and you are this, this Vietnamese American who was doing those things. And you have this white person telling you that you were wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and your publication posits itself as an authority on food. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. it's clearly not their intention, and they clearly had no idea from the the casting to the writing to the videogra- you know, videography to the editing. No one, by you know, through all these these different channels, ever, you know, said this is wrong or this is this might be like kind of off. Like that's why you do need people, you know, pe- persons of color in. Um, you know, it's like translating our cultures because you do need to take advantage of just the way that we have. We've always had one foot in one culture and another foot in, in like, white culture. Mm-hmm. Um, quite honestly, I'm just going to say we should, we should be approached as the translators before, you know, these other people are. And, um, I mean, it just basically... Um, helps prevent the sort of problematic stuff coming up like that. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I hear you. That's a good point. Yeah. Roxana? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah, I do agree with, with both of them, with Carolina and Esther, and I think it's just important for people of color to write, um, again, as Caroline said, you know, to include more diverse voices and points, viewpoints, mm-hmm. um, to the stories that are so far pretty one-sided and um, being able to share that and having more opportunities to do that, you know, is important. Mm-hmm. Right. And yeah. have you all, I, I know, Roxana, you, you lived in Atlanta and you've moved to L.A., so have you mm-hmm. seen that it's different in, like, is, is there um, more minorities represented in L.A. versus Atlanta, would you say, as far as the oh, writing? Yeah, definitely. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely mm-hmm. a lot more. Yes, a lot more minorities, a lot more representation, um, a lot more competition, which I like known for. So <laughs> where everyone is here, they're here for the opportunity to do something about it. So <laughs> that's great. But definitely a lot mm-hmm. more. 
um, compared mm. to Atlanta here. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, and that's good. I guess that's therefore good more reason to more reason to have more voices included in the conversation. Um, yes. it's, you know, a little harder in Atlanta where it's the, the you know, the cultures aren't as many, um, and so the opportunities aren't as many. It's a very small uh, set of writers, and you know that. You and I probably met at literally every other event or, <laughs> or every other restaurant opening or every other foodie thing that happens there because that's, that's the number of people that's that were there. Yeah. <laughs> that's exactly um, right. Out here, yeah. it's, you know, it's a much bigger market, um, many more people, so definitely a lot more conversation about people having to be heard and, you know, a lot yeah. more people doing it as well. Yeah. 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 To yeah. add on to, to to add on to that, what you guys were just saying, you you ran into each other all the time. It's like here, <laughs> yeah. It def, definitely in New York City. I mean, you know, it's just it, it's it's a big island, but a small island. It's basically mm-hmm. you know the the concentration of my frustration that or not frustration, but like one wonderful thing was seeing how these were you know every this it almost becomes cliche in a way to say oh food brings everybody together and it's like that's basically what it does but at the same time it was like I don't know if you guys felt like this but it did kind of feel after a while especially being in food media where you were kind of just being that person who got you know lucky enough to be picked out of the kitten box that day do you know what I mean like (laughs) right you know what I mean yeah we had our collection of people and then we just you know I'm Korean American and the thing is it's Uh like you know the rise of Korean you know how Korean food became more populated is something my own parents basically are astounded at you know when they came in 73 there was not really much you know, going on for the Mm -hmm. Korean food scene. And then all of a sudden, bam, like the Korean Mm -hmm. government had uh, made this huge investment into their exports, and then it became this Mm -hmm. big thing. And I remember seeing bibimbap being this, like, have you ever had (laughs) bibimbap before? I'm like, (laughs) like, really, guys? Uh, No, I've never had it before. I've only grown up with it. Like, did you know that it comes like this? It's like, are you kidding me? Like, it's just kind of one of those things that you would think that food media would approach more people with the knowledge of, um, right. different, you know, different food that was currently, I hate to say it for lack of a better word, but trending. And yeah. then it's like they literally seem to pick their people, uh, the ones that mm-hmm. were trusted sources or whatever, and those were the only people they decided to kind of roll with. It was like, okay, so you already have your, you know, your person who covers Asian food, a person who covers, you know, right. uh, Georgian food and this and that. And it was kind right. of like, well, why do we have to be left out? Like, why is mm-hmm. it you've only got one source? You, there are many at sources. The same, at the yeah. same time, you probably get, got made fun of for eating it while growing up, and yet you still aren't asked to talk about it, you know? it's That's funny. I actually... I personally, if I was made fun of, I kind of didn't pay attention. My sister, though, uh, she was made fun of. Mm. Um, I, I was a different child. I, I didn't care. I was just like, yes, I'm exotic <laughs> and wonderful. Like, you're nice. jealous. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even though we totally weren't. We were total, you know, we were just American kids. We were just mm-hmm. Asian American kids. That's all. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I know how you feel like I, well, actually, I don't know how you feel because I wasn't that bold to be like, I don't care what you think. I was, I tried so hard to fit in. Um, wow. Being yep. a kid in, like an Indian kid in the South in the 80s, mm-hmm. especially the suburbs. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, like I wasn't in the city. I didn't grow up in the city. I'm not in the city now. I, I'm in the suburbs of Atlanta. And so I was one of the few minorities. And so I tried so hard to fit in and just, you know, be mm-hmm. like everybody else. Because it's, it's, I think it's natural as a kid to, to try and mm-hmm. be that way. And I, just, mm-hmm. I do think it's interesting how so many people have branched out and they're like, oh, I love all this exotic food, Indian. Indian. <laughs> you know, like, it's Another like, what were hashtag. you when I was a kid, you know? I actually remember when I had some one of my last classes when I used to work uh, full time in schools. Um, they the biggest shock, or not so much a shock, but it was just something that tickled the crap out of me was that after school snack was uh, dried seaweed uh, for many mm-hmm. of these kids, and I was just kind of they just walk in the hallway with their you know I'm like wow really. Okay, like that's what we're. It's like that's what we're doing now. All right, that's uh-huh. cool with me. Yeah. Right. So right. yeah, it. But I know what you mean by wanting to. I mean, of course, you wanted to fit in. I mostly had, and I don't know if you guys felt this way, but my identity was kind of as most teenagers do, just kind of comes together then. But you weren't mm-hmm. American enough for the Americans. You weren't Asian enough for the Asians. Yeah. So that. Yeah. Yeah. That was how I felt. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. I'm, um, I'm from Wisconsin. I'm from the suburbs of Milwaukee. So from mm-hmm. zero through 17, I have the same house. Um, in, in high school, I was basically, I think there were four Asians in a school of 1,400. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, uh, my, one of my best friends was, also, was Indian American. And um, I mean, I even went through that thing in grade school where, like, my best friend defaulted to the other Asian kid, and she was Chinese-American. But then, like, she um, she had this, like, white girl actually want to be her friend, so she just ditched me because we needed to be oh. as white oh, as possible. No. You know oh, what I mean? God. So Right. So, you know, there, I mean, like, the whole, I mean, we can go off on, like, loyalty and stuff like that, too, but, like, <laughs> <laughs> you realize that you know what I mean. It's just it's, there's definitely like an ascension to whiteness. I think that mm-hmm. um, a lot of like Asian Americans struggle with if they're in that sort of kind of community. You know. Um, I, I, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Was, no, go ahead. That, that's that's my point. <laughs> I was gonna say the best justice, though. I gotta tell you guys was when um, every year my community used to do this uh, flea market. Um, where the, basically it was just like kind of the town would get together and uh, there was always a table that um, the Japanese-American or the Japanese-American community would come, the mothers would serve uh, all these great foods. And so um, also my mom and I guess the Korean-American women of the community also came together to serve food. And mm. it was kind of an awakening to see Basically, like, yeah, we. it was a very, I grew up in uh, the suburbs of uh, basically Westchester, New York, uh, mm-hmm. in a town called Ardsley, and a uh, great place to grow up. At the same time, it was very, majority of everybody there was Irish American Catholic and also Jewish American. Mm-hmm. And, um, but you saw, to see the looks on people's faces every time, pretty much, 
our food would be on the table. And even when I got into high school and like was the president of the Asian society and nice. we, we had, I know, right. And my yeah. sister was as well, but we would have to basically coordinate like fundraisers. And so the food sale that we would put out, and I kid you not, was also one of the best times for us, I think, because the amount of interest that people had aside from bake sales was yes. incredible. People would just come and they would just be like, oh my God, like, can I get this and that, this and that. I was like, see, so you want what we got to give. Right. It's just like, but that's like, you want what we have, but you don't want us. I'm like, that doesn't really make sense. So, totally. but it was, but it was always kind of like exposing the side that I always knew. I was like, this is something that they love. It's just right. hopefully we'll, you know, as you go into media, you realize like, wow, we're, they want our part of the conversation, but they don't want us. That's how it feels right. sometimes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's also like, it, it's very like much a gatekeeping type thing. You know? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, like we're ready for this, but not yet for this. Or mm-hmm. you know, like um, my mom, uh, uh, she taught the ladies at church, at our white church to make egg rolls. So that would be like everyone, because she would bring them to the potluck first, and they're like, oh, my God, these are so good. They're egg rolls, and, you know, and um, we want to learn how to make them. So that was kind of her out, her cultural outreach in a way, mm-hmm. teaching, teaching the white ladies at church to make egg rolls and <laughs> the deep fryer and everything. So, yeah, that's what I remember. I'm like, okay, they like our egg rolls. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> right. So moving on, what what kind of injustices, if any, I mean, I'm, I think that we've all probably experienced that in our lifetime with with pertaining to writing. What when you're trying to get into the writing field and as it as is progressed, what kind of injustices have you all experienced? Hmm. I got well. I'll start with one. Um, this is Caroline, I mean, right? Yeah, this is Caroline. Caroline. Um, yeah. I have two, actually, two stories I could share. I'll keep them quick. One of which was um, basically you, you're put into the perspective. What I said before was like, you know, they want you to, you know, are you invited to write about X, Y, Z when it pertains to your own culture? Um, and mm. the thing is, I've noticed progressively more and more that we're not being as invited as possible. And you mm. will consistently see that, you know, the topic of a banh mi sandwich or writing about, uh, you know, the new, you know, Himalayan food in Jackson Heights, Queens is being written by, you know, dare I say it, is being written by like one voice rather than the other, the preferred voice of the Americans. That was, it was just, you know, it's something I'm noticing more and more is what is happening, even though there are some wonderful Right, uh, you know, people of color writers out there like Portia Wilson and uh, Dakota Kim, and just people who have really strong input um, and is so well written. And at the same time, uh, the next, the second injustice that I could find, um, well, actually three. Uh, the second injustice I can find and share is basically I got the most. How I, the only way I could describe it is the most you can't sit with us email from mm. a from a major uh, influential uh, food publication, um, you know, we, we need to be persistent and we need to, you know, do what we can. But at the same time, 
I got this one email that I swear to God was so appalling. It was like, you know, it's just, we're not going to take the word of you because blah, 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 blah. I, it was hmm. word for word. It literally just said that because you're not one of us, we're not really interested in what you have to say. And I was just wow. kind of like, I can't believe I just got this. And I sent it to um, a trusted colleague and I said, am I crazy for thinking that this is just one of those, you can't sit with us um, yeah. kind of emails. And she said, no, this is exactly what you're reading. She's like, this is basically it. And I'm so sorry this happened to you. I'm like, I'm not sorry. At least I know that there are, you know, there are hacks. Um, mm. and, and so, yeah, and the third one, I was completely leaving my mind, but it's, there are tons, oh yeah, no, I'm sorry. The third one is the, the one that hurts the most, which is that when it's your fellow POCs, um, who in my opinion, we should all be supporting each other, knowing how hard it's been. Um, but I personally encountered something where somebody completely and utterly screenshot something that I had written in confidence um, to everybody and sent it to an editor. And I couldn't believe this had happened. It had happened in a span of three minutes. And um, because I was receiving, it was completely 180. I was receiving a lot of support and, you know, the things that we all do to support each other because we've all been there. But then right. the head of the group had emailed me and said, somebody just told me that, your editor received what you had written. And I just sat there kind of like, are you guys serious? Like, what the heck is going mm -hmm. on? We're supposed to be supporting each other. And, you know, it's like, if I can't tell you guys, who can I tell? And yeah. so that was, those are the three injustices. I know they're kind of broad, but that's, it, it, it's basically been almost an awakening and very, very testing of, you know, your passion for the work. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Now, I, I, I've experienced it several times in Atlanta, and I think um, one of the most, I guess, the, the most hurtful things that happened is, you know, when you, f you feel like you've gotten to a certain level and you've, you've mm. moved beyond this, mm -hmm. like I feel mm -hmm. like I, I wrote a food guidebook. Like I'm, so I'm a published author in the culinary field. I wrote a food guidebook okay. for Atlanta, and I've written for numerous publications. And there was a TV show. There, well, there is a TV show here, and it's they, it's a local TV show. They go to different Atlanta restaurants, and it was started by two white guys. And <laughs> they were looking for somebody to do their social media, which I I do very well. That's what I do as well as being a writer, and. Mm -hmm sometimes be on the show and I thought, well gosh, you know, there's there's if there was ever a perfect job for me, this is it. This is what I love to do. I want to be on T V and, and I'm not just one of those people that's like, I don't want to be on T V so, you know, they should put me on TV. You know, it was like I had this specific experience and I had people emailing me saying, You are the perfect person for this job So I'm like, Okay, it's not all in my head And they were hiring and I, I had applied and the one of the guys agreed to meet me, and then it was like, I, I don't even know why he agreed to meet me, because I show up, I'm, of course I'm on time, and he's like, he's not even there, and, and I call him up, oh. and I, he forgot, I could tell he just forgot oh. he was supposed to yes. meet me. That has happened to me as well. Go and sorry, go yeah, on. and it, like, it was so insulting. And then he sat there, wow. and the way you know how you can just tell when somebody's like going through the motions, but they don't really care. I'm like, I'm yeah. not going to get this job. Mm -hmm. And then what they did is they hired a white girl, 
mm-hmm. who is, I mean, she didn't, she didn't have any experience in the culinary field, no experience in the food scene, and she mm-hmm. got the job. And I'm like, oh, and, and I'm not somebody who thinks that I should be entitled or I deserve something just because yeah. of my race, but if I have this experience, I think I should have gotten it. I think the best person for the job mm-hmm. should get that job. And she, yeah. mm-hmm. she was qualified to do it. She did an okay job while she was there, but... I mean, I'm just, I had so much experience, and I was, mm-hmm. I, it was so hurtful that that happened. So um, I just, I just want to share that. Yeah, that was actually, uh, to add on to that, I, was, I had a very similar experience. Um, I had basically gone up for a job I was already doing for a publication for a year, uh, just freelancing. Um, they had opened the job up uh, to be on staff, and basically they kind of just had me wait for two months and then finally at the end of two months I heard that I didn't get it and um, I saw who did get it and it was two young white kids and I was just kind of like you know you're a publication that kind of went out and asked everybody of their readers what they want more and they Mm -hmm. had said diversity we want more diversity and they, I want to say had attempted to, to serve this purpose and they just went right back to the they just went right back, and that's—I uh-huh. I completely feel you on that one. It's just kind of like, I'm sorry, how old are these kids? <laughs> like, and you know, how much do they poss- experience do they possibly have in this field? Mm-hmm. They look like they just graduated college. Wow. So, yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So, do you all think that it's a matter of? I mean, like, I know, I know, you just said that it's—they ask people what they want, and they want more diversity, but. Do they maybe say that because I think that's the right thing to say and these these magazines are picking white people because yeah. they want people like their readers? Mhm. Yeah. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely yeah. think they're like they they try to appear and I mean cuz it's like that's what's I I'm going to use it like you said <laughs> said before but trending is being, you know, mm-hmm. more aware of diversity, but it seems to be very surfacey in very many cases. Yeah, yeah, completely. And I also think that it's one of those things that someone had brought this up um, at one of the panels that I had attended, which is that, you know, why should you be asking now for, you know, especially, you know, people of color are encouraged to apply. And it's like, well, what is wrong that you didn't have people of color to begin with? Like, what, you know, what was this that, you know, now you're interested in what we have to say. Yeah. So mm-hmm. that, that's always kind of a red flag when, you, when you're yeah. up for seeing what people are, you know, looking for. That's yeah, cool. exactly. And Roxana, I know that you and I talked briefly about this, but it was, there were some times where we'd be pitching magazines and outlets and, or we'd be trying to get a position at a magazine or outlet and then you'd see who got it and it was like always a white person even though mm-hmm. we had more experience than them, <laughs> like no experience oh, and they would get it. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very much the part about, you know, having diverse voices and all of that, I think a lot of people just use it without knowing how they're going to implement on it, you know. Um, it might seem like the best thing to say or announce, but I think a lot of people still don't know how to go about it. And that's surprising for me because I'm a little, I guess my background's a little different from all of you. You were all raised in the U.S., but I only moved here after I got married. Mm-hmm. So I moved here as an adult. And for me, 
as far as I knew anything outside of the U.S. coming from, from India, I was like, oh, there's going to be all these different communities and cultures, and this is, you know, the U.S. is this big melting pot, at least, you know, in the big cities. That's the idea you have. And then you come here, and then you hear things like people of color, and you wonder, why is there even that term? Like, isn't everyone just people? Like, all people all together? Why would we have to, you know, segment it that way? And it took me a while to understand the fact that a lot of voices were not included in the conversation. And that's mm-hmm. something you don't get until you come here and you live in the U.S. Um, yeah. to understand what that is. So that, that conversation is, is, is very much an American thing. and something that we, we talk about here a lot, but people from the outside don't understand that, you know? Um, yeah. But, yeah, to your mm-hmm. point about, um, about gigs or jobs or employment in the food writing space, it's definitely um, a, lot of, a lot can be done to include more voices. Mm-hmm. And, um, mm-hmm. That's hopefully a conversation that we can continue to have and not in, a, not in a way where we have to figure out what to do about it, but more about how to celebrate it. Have any of you guys, I, I, I don't mean to pose this question so out of the blue, but have any of you guys ever felt that, you know, when people are saying, you know, again, just like they're seeking people of color and you always feel that, oh, that includes me and, you know, but then you just sometimes aren't the right color they're looking for, the best yeah. way I can say <laughs> I it. It, yeah. It's just like, I'm not the right shade of Asian you're looking for. Okay, what the hell is <laughs> You know, it just, it goes back to what I was saying before about feeling like, you know, we've picked this kitten today out of the box. You know, you get to be with us. Mm -hmm, And and it's just kind of like, seriously, okay. Like, and the defense, I've noticed that many of the discussions I've had, no one wants to be called racist. Nobody wants to be Mm -hmm. that person and contribute to that mentality. Everybody wants to be the better person or at least from what I've seen but the thing is it's just kind of like fine change is slow but it's only as slow I think as we you know you want it to be it's just like what's wrong with my voice what don't you like about it like why do you got to be ready for it at all I had to be ready for yours like why can't you be ready (laughs) for mine yeah yeah that's true yeah Mm -hmm. absolutely so to shift gears a little bit, I wanted to ask your thoughts on something else, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with the story. It was a little over a year ago. There was two women who they'd gone to Mexico, and they had learned to make tortillas. Uh. From these <laughs> we all know women. this. Yeah, you know the story, yeah. right? And then they, they came, and they, they opened up a, I think it was like a food truck or a restaurant mm-hmm. or something, and mm-hmm. then... They, uh-huh. they were, like, shut down in no time. So what are your thoughts? And I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate here. I mean, they, they did the legwork. They, they studied how to do this. And they, I mean, there's obviously, it's not just you know how to do this. You've got to have a business license. You've got to have the money to open a, a restaurant or a food truck or whatever it was. Um, so they had that knowledge, too. Do you think that they were justified in what they did, or were they totally wrong? What are your thoughts on that? I think um, I I was definitely against it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was definitely against it, and um, I mean I have to say, like um, 
I think, I mean, I moved to Los Angeles, quite frankly, for a huge reason, you know, um, being where I'm from. Um, and I remind myself every day, like, I'm thankful that I'm here, but I do experience, like, a good amount of privilege being with the, in such a diverse city. So knowing that those, um, those two women went up to Portland and... Um, because it's from Portland, right? And that's where yeah. the song mm-hmm. was. Yeah. And yeah. just um, the environment that um, Oregon is and Portland is, and it's very much white. And mm-hmm. um, I think a lot of the uproar came from, like, it, came, it became more amplified when us food writers from us, uh, from, like, the different cities and stuff like that kind of called them out on it, you know, became viral, right? Yeah. Um, and I think it wouldn't have been possible without the Internet. Um, I think they're wrong just because um, they basically admitted that they, like, kind of stole or, like, you know, um, were, were kind of just bystanders and just kind of watching how they were doing it. And they went back day after day and were basically stealing the recipe for the tortillas, for the filling, for, every, for everything. So that's why, um, I mean, that's classic appropriation. There's no credit given. And they're even kind of, I think joking that they stole this in the article yeah. that they were interviewed for. So mm-hmm. I think that was um, wrong, and that was classic appropriation for me. So do you think if they were more humble and gave credit, then they would have been more accepted? I don't know. See, um, I, think, I don't think it would have mattered to the people okay. in Portland, but I think maybe um, I mean, it's it, it's like the the very many like factors that were involved, the way they did it, the way they joked about it, you know what I mean? And mm-hmm. and also the article that it was um, published in, I think there's two main outlets there, and one is just known in Oregon, or sorry, in Portland for being really racist and problematic and even like kind of um, enabling like white supremacists in the past, you know? So I think just the very many factors um, you know, um, kind of contributed to the fact that I was like, I'm, I was ready to skewer them, quite frankly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of like, it reminded me a lot of um, this argument I got into, and I will never forget this argument. Um, I, I got into an argument with somebody who kept insisting that they knew about kimchi more than I did. And Oh, my God. They were just like, oh, you know, kimchi's vegan. I said, no, it isn't. And they said, yes, it is. I said, no, it isn't. It's actually, you know, if you go back, I'm like, kimchi was actually not even, you know, red when it first started. It was, you know, white kimchi that eventually evolved and had, uh, it's fermented right now, you know, for the most part, it's fermented with you know, anchovies or oysters or shrimp or, you know, just to basically help with the fermentation process and the flavoring. And this person continued to basically just go off about this. And they said, well, I know you're wrong. And I'm like, oh. yeah, I like, you. <laughs> it's like, please tell me how I'm wrong. Now, here's the funny thing is that, you know, this is consistently going to be, I think, a problem in America. And right now, you know, raise up the people who have grown up with this, have basically studied this. I mean, there are lots of chefs that apprentice with 
you know, other chefs in other countries for over decades before they decide to bring their stuff back to America. Um, but at the same time, it's just kind of like, you know, you admitted you stole this. You admitted you did this. You're almost kind of laughing about it. And it's just kind of like if you had actually been these Mexican vendors who basically came to America to open up their stuff, you know, would people listen to them as much? Do you think anyone would take mm, them as seriously? Yeah. Would they have gotten the coverage that they've gotten? You know, it's, it's always right. going to be a question. And like Esther was saying, in Portland, especially where the population is not what it is in, you know, of color in L.A., in, you know, in New York City, it's just kind of one of those things where it's just like, you know, I'm not saying you can't enjoy my food, but I am saying, you know, it did not come from out of your pocket. So it's, you know, it's time to give people credit where it's due. And it's, it's really just one of those things where I'm not saying you can't enjoy, again, you can't, it's, I'm not saying you can't enjoy my stuff, but I right. am saying like, you know, try not to fricking ruin it with your, you know, your crappy nature of basically trying to say, well, I came up with this. No, you didn't. Yeah. And that's okay. So, yes. Yes. Same so, on the topic, since you guys are all talking about this, mm-hmm. um, I had a question for all of you: Is how do you guys feel about fusion food? Oh my gosh, oh, that's God. what I was thinking. Oh. I was just thinking that. Oh. <laughs> Let's have at it, ladies. Let's have at it. <laughs> okay, who wants to go first? <laughs> I went first last time. So you guys go. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll go. I actually, yeah. I like it. I think it's, it's really good, very, very interesting, most of it that I've had. I think it's, I think it's cool to combine these, these two different amazing types of cuisine. Um, mm-hmm. I know that some people think it's, it's hack or whatever, and I mean, but mm-hmm. I, I, I really enjoy it. So that's my mm-hmm. two cents about it. What do you all um, think? Uh, I don't like calling it fusion. Um, I basically, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm told, I'm sorry. It's just, it. so here's the thing. It's like we, you know, for those of us with immigrant parents, we've seen basically they come to the United States, they are seeking the flavors that they love so much from their, you know, from the motherland. And the thing is, it's like, Fusion back in, like, I don't know if you guys remember, back in, like, the early 90s when Fusion was, like, becoming the thing, like, you know, to mm-hmm. kind of market. And, you know, been to some of the Fusion places. I'm going to be honest. Like, some of them really sucked, or at least the ones yeah. that I went to. And mm-hmm. it was just things were too sweet, or they were too salty, or they were, huh. you know, put together to look pretty on a plate. And I'm just kind of like, what? It kind of makes you wonder. It's like, well, what is your perception of what – these two cultures are, I'd really like to know. And right. um, the thing is, like, I, I posted a, um, or I published a recipe of mine, which was my kimchi mac and cheese. And it was, it's delicious, if I do say so Sounds myself. Sounds good. But, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, kimchi are, mac and cheese. Mm. Let's get yeah. together, let's all have some. Yeah. But it was basically <laughs> kind of one of those things where, you know, it's just kind of like, well, why is my dish not considerably American? This is American. It's made with, you know, American cheddar. It's made with, uh, you know, American this and that. And I'm an American, and I made this dish. And yes, it's kind of, Bourdain, may he rest in peace, basically brought it up that the Ameri- the face of the American table is changing. And it's kind of time to 
admit that this is not what it used to be, that it includes a lot more than it used to in the past. Um, in terms of fusion, I'm just kind of like, <laughs> I'm just kind of like, the approaches that I've had have not been that good. So I would love to go to the restaurants you mm-hmm. to, <laughs> but totally. at, at the same time, it's just kind of like, it's not, it, it, I feel like it kind of needs an update. But I feel like if it's, it's a chef who, and the, 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 these are the experiences I'm talking about, the ones where the chef is of that culture, of one of the cultures, and uh-huh. they know their food really well. Like I, I was at a restaurant, it's an Indian restaurant, and so she was doing Indian-Mexican fusion. Mm. So she did like um, goat, curry goat empanadas. And right. I mean, I was just like, that is one of the best things I've, I've ever eaten. It was so good. And so I think if they know their one yeah. cuisine and then they're, they're mm-hmm. bringing this other one into it, I think mm-hmm. that works well. I, what I don't think works well is when they, they're not an expert at either one and then they're trying to kind of mm-hmm. Americanize it for mm-hmm. a different yeah. palate. I think mm-hmm. right. that's not so good. Right. Mm-hmm. I just think that the term fusion mm-hmm. means something totally different than, oh, we're just fusing two cuisines together. Mm-hmm. Because fusion, like um, Caroline, you were saying earlier, early 90s, it was really a lot of it or most, maybe all of it, was like a, like fused with Japanese because people were ready for some for this particular exotic cuisine you know, mm-hmm. but they weren't mm-hmm. really willing to go all the way. So yeah. they called it fusion, and they're and I mean, at least I think in LA, at least that it's like always meant fused with Japanese. And so obviously, like with that too sweet thing, that I totally agree with. But um, mm-hmm. now, I mean, so I think calling things fusion, I still get that sense from back then. You know what I mean? Like I'm questioning. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's just a lot of baggage. So I feel like I don't like calling it fusion. I calling I like calling it like maybe like exactly what it is. Like you know, um, the two <laughs> two ethnicities that it's modeled after. Or mm-hmm. but um, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. I, I think just, I think fusion is like a very or can be a very polarizing word. Just like foodie. Mm-hmm. Foodie. I, I mm-hmm. actually I don't yeah. like the word foodie. I can't stand that word. I it, <laughs> either. Foodie is that. No, foodie is actually, it used to be a term, basically, that um, was not a good term to talk about people back in the 80s. It was basically kind of like making fun of them almost in a way. And I think people don't remember this or realize this or they've rebranded it in some way. Mm. And and I'm just kind of like foodie schmoody. Like the friggin' just call it what it is, just people... It's almost become, again, it's just like, again, it's one of those things that kind of brings your status up or something to, you know, to right. basically have eaten at this restaurant or this restaurant. We've done it for the gram. And it's, yeah, mm-hmm. it's, it's just kind of like, I don't know if you guys have seen a lot of the Instagrammers, but they're like, they're, they're like <laughs> close to batshit crazy. It's just kind of like, no offense, like I want to yeah. sit here and I want to eat and you know, yeah. the flashing light bulbs, the, you know, yeah. I need to get this for my quote unquote blog. I'm like, when did blogs become about people not actually blogging? I'm just like, okay. And, but yeah. it's also one of those things that the dining experience itself, please don't let it become like this. There's been, honestly, there's, there's, there's been amazing movement that has started from mm-hmm. 
groups like ours right now, us just talking about this and being honest about it and not and realizing that we all are colleagues in this, but we're also advocates for each other. And it's just one of those things where, you know, what we were talking about, uh, you know, from an out, you know, outside the country perspective and coming to America and, you know, seeing the perspective from that angle, like I, I had somebody visit from Korea who basically was like, don't you think this is great that like everybody is, you know, you, you know, knowing more yeah. about Korean food and this and that. And I'm like, yeah. yes and no. I was like, no, mm. because frankly, they're kind of getting a little, you know, bringing up the exotic creature syndrome a little too much in this. <laughs> And I was like, right. not everything. Did you guys watch the Olympics, by the way, in Korea? And the commentators on, like, NBC basically yes. just w- would not shut up about, oh, the cultural significance of this Q-tip <laughs> is, you know, blah, blah. It's like, oh, my God, shut up. Like, not everything has a significance. It's just a person stepping out onto the spotlight, like, it's true. Oh my goodness! Or the anyway. questions that like Chloe Kim got because she is she is Korean. Oh yeah. And, like mm-hmm. always the same thing, and I'm like, geez, give her a rest. <laughs> I, I would love to feed Chloe Kim. She must be like a trip to feed. Oh my god, she's <laughs> just like awesome. Because she's a teenager, she was so hungry. I was like, I'll feed you, I Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, I think we need to obviously keep pushing back and keep the dialogue going. And I think, you know, the change will come, but I think we have to keep having conversations like this Mm -hmm. and and sharing it with, and other people need to share it. And and I think other white writers that are currently in the food industry need to help too as well because they're just embedded. And mm-hmm. they can help mm-hmm. to make a difference. And the editors of these magazines and, and websites need to know this. So, yeah, um, we need we, we need allies, lots of them, and yes, mm-hmm. it, and especially in an industry that's this competitive. I was like, we need people to, yeah. you know, just kind of be with us in the fight. And it is a fight, and it's unfortunate mm-hmm. that it has to be like this. But the industry's got to change. That's it has to happen for all of us. It has to happen for every single one of us. Exactly, exactly. Well, thank you all for being on the podcast today. I appreciate it very much. Thank Thank you you so much for having us. (laughs) Let's go one by one and and tell people how they can follow you and reach you if they they want to follow your work, um, starting with Caroline. Oh, starting with me. Okay. Um, Thank you. (laughs) I'm just going to go in alphabetical order. Keep it easy. All right. Um, So I am Caroline Cho. Thank you for listening to uh, Just a Bite. And you can follow me on uh, Instagram uh, at Caro Cho, C-A-R-O-C-H-O-E, and also at Create and Plate. Um, And also you can check me out on Facebook and also uh, some of our Upcoming new tutorials and episodes will be on uh, YouTube on the Create and Play channel and uh, the Illustrated Journal with Caroline Show. Perfect. Now, Esther, tell us how we can reach you. Hi, I'm, I am Esther Singh, and I my handle is E-S-T-A-R-L-A, E-S-T-A-R-L-A on Instagram and Twitter. And, yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. And Roxana. 
Hey, uh, you guys can reach me on RuxanaWrites.com, and I'm on Ruxana, R-U-K-S-A-N-A-H, on Instagram. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you all so much for being on the Just a Bite podcast today. I really appreciate your time. Thank, thank you so thank much, you. All right, rock on, guys. Okay, rock thanks a on. lot. Take care. Take care. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to the Just a Bite podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. See you on the next episode.